Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. I am here as ever with the wonderful Francis and Tom. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, doing well, thank you. It's good to be back. Back in the uh, we're back in the sunshine. I feel like I start every podcast by talking about the weather, but it's all I've got a Monaco, so enjoying my my time back. Well, it's um it's a big day for you, Tom, at time of recording. You've got something uh, very important happening later. I do indeed. I've got a, a huge theory test coming up, so watch out if I pass. I could be on on your roads. And uh, it's time to get off the road if I'm on there. So by the end of the year, watch out. Everyone stop driving. Literally, yeah. Other Tom is on the is on the road. To be fair, you've got you you've still got your main test to do yet. So it's we can we can carry on driving for just a little May, bit. Maybe so. for another six months, but by the end of the year, gotta watch out. There you go. Francis, how are you doing today? Uh I'm doing very well, thank you. I am similarly to you guys, both roasting in this heat. But, you know, that's that's part of the the fun of the English weather, right? It's the apparently new heat waves that we just have to suffer so you know fun times fun times fun times around awesome anyway so what fantastic fintech news are we going to be talking about this week tom what are you bringing to the table so today i'm going to be bringing fraud back to the table um because tsb has called out meta um to implement new tech interventions to help prevent fraud uh for uk consumers fantastic and francis uh, I, well, firstly, bringing fraud to the table just sounds weird. I don't know why. It doesn't sound quite right, but... I mean, well, you I'm guys gonna... know how much I love fraud. Like, yeah, I mean, here we go like... again. Here we go big, again. Big fraudsters here. <laughs> I'm going to be discussing how DMB Bank is integrating automation and AI bots into its infrastructure. Fantastic. And I'm going to be looking at uh, bank closures again, because that's a topic I can't get enough of. Uh, but Tom, why don't you go first since you bring you brought fraud to the table so eloquently? Absolutely. Uh, so basically, um, UK bank TSB has called for Meta to do more to protect consumers um, from fraud that specifically originates from the Meta platforms. So that's Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, uh, Messenger. Um, and basically, uh, Robin Bullock, who's the chief executive of TSB, um, has requested that it introduces new tech interventions into these platforms to help protect UK consumers and households from sort of ever increasing levels of fraud. So TSB explained that scams originating from meta platforms account for around 80% of the fraud that it refunds between its sort of three biggest fraud categories. So their purchase investment and impersonation. So the projections show that scams originating on meta platforms could account for up to 250 million pounds of push payment losses to UK households in this year alone. Uh, and that's if they don't put any interventions in place, basically. So I just thought it was a, an interesting topic because obviously it's something that affects all of us. We all uh, use some form of social media or messenger apps um, to communicate. And obviously with so many fraudsters around um, and sort of facilitating fraud through these platforms, um, it's interesting to see such a public call to try and protect consumers because banks kind of do as much as they can. They, you know, ask you, are you sure this is, you know, this person, they try and authenticate everything before you send money. But uh, me included, a lot of us just kind of ignore that as just an unneeded extra step when we're sending stuff, uh, sending money to people. 
because we're confident that we can identify fraud, even if we might be mistaken. Um, so yeah, I was just thought, sort of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on sort of where the I don't know how to phrase it. Like, where where does the responsibility lie? Does it lie with Meta solely? Is it down to the banks, or is it more down to sort of UK consumers to be careful with their own money? Basically, I feel like it's a uh, it's kind of split, right? I don't think you can really put it all on one one party. I think you know each well each party really needs to do its part. You know, Meta needs to step up and sort of have a way of identifying, perhaps you know sort of fraudulent messages and you know numbers that have been reported or suspicious that i don't know i feel like there's there are ways or things that more ways that things can be done to sort of you know stop those from perhaps being more perhaps being vulnerable to these sort of things but similarly i think a lot of the time it relies with the the user as well and i don't want to sort of have this blame the victim mentality but at the same time i feel like for example i mean i know this article is about you know uk um uk users and and so on but i had my cousin from brazil stay around recently and while he was here i think he must have had like five or six you know different scam messages on whatsapp of people trying to get him to send money and sort of saying you know oh you've used this service or something along those lines and it's just stuff that doesn't make sense right it's like he it hasn't been used so why would he be paying for it and i feel like a lot of the time people for some reason get sort of caught up on that they think that you know or maybe this is actually applicable to me or or something along those lines and i think there's definitely ways that you know users can improve their education around sort of fraud and and i guess it's i think that people just need an ego check to be honest i mean i remember doing an article a while back which was talking about how many uk consumers just believe that they'd be able to identify deep fake whenever and it like the fact of the matter is, is that you can't. I mean, if they can be played off so well to that the, the human eye just can't identify it anymore, right? And I think that sort of similar ego of, of like you sort of mentioned at the end there, Tom, of like, oh, people are confident that they can identify fraud and, and so on. I mean, it's all fun and games until you, until you get caught out by it, right? And it's just like, oh, I guess I couldn't identify it. So I think I think probably one of the biggest parts is people just need an ego check and need to sort of just re-educate themselves like quickly. Cause I feel like growing up, right. We always heard about these sort of, you know, beware of the internet or the scam stuff that you can find out there. Right. I mean, I remember in primary school, we've seen those videos of like, you guys must know the ones I mean of like, beware of, of, I guess, strangers and stuff like that. But I think it applies here as well. And it's just something Along those lines, I think there needs to be a new level of re-education, really. Yeah, I agree. I, I also think, you know, as TSB have asked for, Meta need to sort of implement some sort of methods to try and reduce fraud because at the moment it seems quite easy for people just to jump on WhatsApp, message people, try and convince people in any way they can. Um, and there's not really any, any warning and people that are maybe less tech savvy um, might be more prevalent to, to those types of attacks. Um, but basically TSB have kind of issued some some ideas, uh, I guess you could say, to Meta. Um, so that includes introducing like a new secure payment mechanism that's sort of more for Facebook marketplace. So you can pay for goods more safely actually on the platform. Everyone's identified, uh, identity is verified beforehand. Um, and it means you don't have to go through sort of odd transactions um, with people that you don't know when you're paying for goods or services. 
Um, but also like just something as simple as flagging to WhatsApp users when they're contacted by a new number and warning them to check the numbers genuine before they sort of engage in the conversation. And something as, as simple as that could have a big impact, I think, on on just on checking people, like you said, making sure that, you know, they are be, being a bit more aware. They're not just immediately assuming something. They do a, you know, a minute or two of research into a number beforehand and realize actually this doesn't seem legit um, rather than just jumping into a conversation and, and getting panicked by something um, that appears on WhatsApp. But Polly, what do you think about the uh, situation? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic uh, to bring up today because I think these kind of examples that we're talking about are very real examples of fraud to like consumers you know what I mean I think sometimes when we talk about fraud and cybercrime there can be like a bit of a disconnect it's like oh well that doesn't happen to me I don't know anyone that that's happened to you know but when it comes to like you know like being scammed on Facebook a lot of people have been scammed on Facebook or at least you know you know someone who has like I am a part of a lot of different sort of like reseller groups for like various different things and pretty much every day there's always like a post in there being like don't buy from so and so they're a scammer they won't send you your stuff so I thought this was a really interesting example of that I thought it was very interesting about how much the fraud uh takes place on Facebook marketplace um because I thought that was quite interesting um and also it, it it also seems what's the right word not necessarily that shocking because i think the amount of times i don't know what facebook marketplace what facebook marketplace is like where you guys are but where i am uh a lot of it is dodgy you know what i mean like you click on something and you're like yeah that's not real or you click on it and it's actually an ad for something else and and whatever and i think i agree with you guys in that some of it is it's got to go back to the consumer there's got to be a bit of common sense there of if it looks too good to be true it probably is you know and I think it's unfair to put a lot of blame onto both Meta and banks or other financial providers. I think obviously they have a part to play and they definitely have a role into helping make things secure for people. But at the end of the day, if you're buying something that is very clearly a scam, then it, that's that's kind of on you. And I think I thought it was interesting as well, the um, what Meta can do to reduce fraud levels on the platforms uh, suggestions the first one was to introduce a secure payment mechanism so i thought that was quite interesting because it would be uh interesting to see like a facebook payment thing but a lot of people i know use paypal and paypal already has a secure sort of payment methods which is like paypal goods and services and um, which i think you can like if you don't get you're protected if for whatever reason but a lot of people don't use pay, uh, paypal goods and services because you have to pay a little bit more for it um, there's a fee involved for the seller so you'll always get people being like send me money via friends and family so if there was a facebook marketplace uh, payment thing people probably wouldn't use it like how they don't use paypal goods and services so it is one of those things where i do think it kind of comes on the consumer here uh, but i'd be interested to see how this plays out and whether anything does change because obviously meta i think is definitely getting um, a lot more traction with all like the metaverse and stuff like that it's yeah it's just one of those weird things i think it's one of those tricky things but it would be very interesting to see how it all plays out i think it's interesting that you picked up on that first uh point there because for me i think it's point five about you know that the the flagging to users when when they've been contacted by a new number i think that's what i always think is like the most shocking one because 
you know, we're talking about consumers being able to or have to sort of switch on essentially. But surely that a company like Meta can introduce something because the these scammers, they're not just sending it to one person. They're, they've got a list of numbers that they just rinse and repeat that same message to. And I'm sure there's got to be a way that if they've recognized that, you know, there's been a spam of like sending to the same person or, you know, a lack of ver- uh, verification and it's sort of just been created. And it, it's, I don't know. I mean, I guess it kind of contradicts the whole, you know, all your messages are encrypted type of thing, which, you know, WhatsApp supposedly has but you know i think there does need to be some sort of way of sort of recognizing you know spam and that this sort of you know it's a danger and it's i don't know i think there's a fine line that needs to be walked but i think that more can be done cool well let's move on then (laughs) francis why don't you do yours so my article this week is discussing dmv the nordic bank's experience with boost ai or boost ai's automation bot juno i should say so for for those that don't know, I, I studied classical civilization at uni. So whenever I see anything that's even remotely ancient world related, I get quite happy. So seeing what Boost AI decided to name their bot, I was like, this is pretty cool. I'm very interested and I want to see what it's about. So while there not be, may not be, you know, sort of tons of relevance from a classical point of view as to what Juno the bot does when compared to, you know, Juno the goddess, I do really like what Juno, uh, oh, sorry, what Boost AI has created. So we live in a world where personalization is a surefire way to success. And, you know, without it, organizations will fall behind their competitors. It's just, you know, as a consumer, what, what you're going to prefer, right? The, the company that's tailoring their services to you or the one that's just giving sort of like a generic, you know, service to everyone. So what this bot does is it helps customer service assistants provide the best tailored support service. So why I found this so interesting is because, you know, we've always or we've spoken about it to great extents on the podcast and to even greater extents, we've sort of written about it on on the FinTech Times. But, you know, combining automation with the human touch is genius, right? Because, like I said, we've discussed how when dealing with customers and, you know, people don't like talking to chatbots as they don't feel like they're really getting their their problems answered. Because big or big problem or not, most people think you know this is the be all end all for me, right? When they have an issue, they're not getting their money, or especially yeah, especially financial wise, people want to ha- know you know that their their product or their their problem is being seen to personally, right? And so this service, the the Juno bot, has been implemented for two years now. It was it was first introduced in twenty twenty. And since then, it has answered over 2 million inquiries, equating to roughly 1,200 users daily. The AI bot has the capability to delve into over 3,400 topics, with each topic further offering customized you know, services to- towards different areas of the bank, split between the corporate banking and pr- private market. So on average, Juno answered seven questions per user each day. And through 2022, this equated to 2.1 million questions. And in my opinion, this is quite a, a good stat. This there was an eighty-three percent success rate for providing a valid answer. And you know, while you might say you know that's not a hundred percent, there's still a lot of space for for improvement. The conversations are, you know, the bot is learning from these. There, it it's not sort of like a a one-stop shop, I suppose. It's a continuous process. So each time the bot answers something, it is is constantly learning and it, and it's helping to you know improve what the 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 service it's offering. So Juno is helping uh, 
DMB achieved greater resource management as it provides answers across multiple business units without requiring each unit to have its own standalone standalone bot. And, you know, it helps customers, it helps the bank, and it seems like a win-win. But I think, you know, what one of the biggest points that I wanted to discuss with you guys today is that later on in the article, it discusses other ways in which DMB is implementing AI. And it got me thinking, you know, is there such thing as too much automation? Because in my opinion, Juno looks like a success, right? And to me, I think the fact that it continues to refine and improve itself, as I mentioned, it can only really be seen as a good thing. But, you know, when you see how many services the bank actually has, you know, introduced and it is currently using, I mean, it, I believe it was five different ones and they're all, you know, offering services at different parts within the bank. But I just wanted to see what you guys thought. Is there such thing as, you know, too much automation, Polly? I think that's a really interesting question and one that is very relevant at the moment, especially with all, you know, the buzz around like ChatGPT and other different AI things that are coming out. I think in terms of automation, it's how you use it. If you get everything fully automated, I think that's possibly when you're going to have a bit of sticking points, especially perhaps from a custom point of view, like you were saying, not everyone likes to know that they're interacting with an AI all the time but i think where kind of automation hits the real sweet spot is when you use it in um collaboration with like humans essentially to sound quite clinical but when you have humans and ai working together i think that that is literally the sweet spot of how to make it work and how to make automation work especially within financial services i think specifically when we think about productivity um and because you know ai can stream through masses of data in a second whereas it would take a person forever to do the same amount of thing you know what i mean and even that can just save so much time from you know a person point of view and like from your resources and to help produce like your efficiency so i think having a virtual agent in that way to help with the productivity whilst also it does help with your customer service i think that's really where financial institutions can benefit from it and i think there's a lot of reticence towards chatbots especially from you know the public and the consumer side of things but i th- i think people just don't realize how i guess useful that they can be and also how how much they've already interacted with them whether they know it or not you know a conversational ai a chatbot is really nothing new it's been around for a while i think just at at this point i guess they're just becoming a bit more prevalent and people are just sort of understanding a little bit more but a conversational ai just has a lot of ability and it could just really transform how a financial service just works and how to be productive and how to be efficient which then obviously feeds back into their customers and how their customer satisfaction will probably go up because everything's happening a bit more quickly. So it's it's one of those really interesting things. And I think Juno, this particular bot, is a really interesting uh, agent as well. Um, and the application of it uh, within financial services is really interesting. And it's just, it's about, free, like I was saying before, it's all about kind of freeing up the time for humans. So where a chatbot can answer a question in a second, you know, like a really simple question, like, How do I log into my account or something else like that? That's a really simple question that you can expect a chatbot to answer and answer well. And so if it can do that, that's just saving so much time from, you know, a resource point of view. So how can it how can it be a bad thing? No, I definitely agree. And I think like when you're talking about resources, I mean, oftentimes people think about money. But of course, you know, time is also a resource. And 
possibly even the more important of the two resources of those two that I've just said. And I mean, I wanted just to read out this one paragraph here because I think it is just, it goes to show the extent of, you know, how much the the bank is really using automation and it will sort of support what you're saying as well, Polly. And then I, I wanted to see what, to get your thoughts, Tom, as well. But so over a year ago, the DMB bank also introduced a different server or different, you know, product from Boost AI called Ino, I believe, A-I-N-O. I'm not sure I'd say it, but not even a year since its implementation. And the bot has automated over 50% of all incoming chat traffic, all the while interacting with over a million customers. So as well as that and Juno, it has another service called Hugo, which assists employees with HR-related with HR related queries. Another bot called Fix handles incoming inquiries to DMB's IT service desk. And lastly, DMB has a virtual agent named Justina to assist employees with all legal questions. So like I said, I wanted to highlight that just to show the amount of different ways that bots are being used now. And I guess, yeah, same same sort of thing to you, Tom. Like, what do you think? Is there so having seen that now, is there such thing as too much? I think we're definitely entering like a period of time now, sort of for the first time where maybe the answer's like no, in the sense of in the past, I, I know me, like if I if I was trying to talk to someone in person, I want to call them on the phone. I wanted like a live chat agent. So I've talked to a real person so I can have a discussion with them, get a proper description of what I need to do to fix whatever problem I'm having. Whereas now I think, like you said, the, the, the bot in this case is always learning from the sort of millions of inputs that it's getting and it's improving itself on a constant basis. So, you know, if, if a bot is having millions and millions of, of inputs from customers, it's learning from each and every single one, it's only going to get better and better at a, a ridiculous rate, basically. And it's going to get to a point, if not already at that point, where it's almost indistinguishable from speaking to a human in terms of the way it talks to you, the language it uses, how it explains things, but also the time it can save you. Like if you want to call someone, you might be waiting to, for someone to pick up for a long time. If you're trying to talk to like a, a, a chat agent um, from one of these organizations, you might be sitting there waiting for the chat window to open up because you're a hundredth in the queue and they don't have that enough agents to, to talk to everyone at the same time. And with a bot, the bot comes up straight away when you ask for it, you can ask your question, you can have your problem solved, you can get your answer as soon as you've asked it basically and you don't have to wait. And it's, you know, saving these financial institutions time resources as well. But also the customers, they're not waiting around for their answers. 86% or 83% success rate um, just really shows that a lot of people are getting their sort of query solved without the use, without the need of a human really to get involved and to wait for them to get involved. So yeah, I, I think, you know, in the past, I definitely would have said, yeah, you can have too much inform uh, sort of automation because there's not enough on the sort of tech side and the AI side to really help everyone. But we're getting to the point now where really and truly AI can, can help in, in most cases. And, and like Polly said, there's sort of examples of AI helping employees. So even then, when you get to an employee, they're being supported by AI and AI is involved in sort of every step of the process. And it's just speeding up the process for people on both sides. So I think it's a really interesting time. I think the next few years are going to be really interesting to see, you know, automation basically in every single sector, in everything you're trying to do as a consumer, there's always going to be AI involved in some way. So I think it's just an interesting time to be on the lookout for for how sort of consumer problems are solved uh, in the future. 
No, and I'm right there with you. And I think one of the possibly the best stats from it, just to support what both of you have said, really, is this idea that that I know the 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 other service that it's using. It's automated over fifty percent of all incoming chat traffic. And I think that is such a good stat because it shows that it automates stuff that needs to be, you know, like Polly said, the, you know, or I think it was Polly that said it right there. You know, how, how do I get into this login? That was you, Polly, wasn't it? Or was that you, Tom? No, it was Polly. Okay. Just check. And uh, yeah, so the fact that that sort of stuff can get automated, but it's not sort of automating all the important things either, because it says just over 50% is is going through that, through the bot now. But I mean, that's still like, you know, at least 49% that's still getting that human touch. So I think it really does sort of speak volumes of, of merging the two, the two worlds together. And I think, yeah, it's a really good, really good product. Awesome. Well, let's move away from chatbots to bank closures. Uh, my favorite topic to talk about. Uh, so obviously over the last, you know, however many years, bank branches keep closing, um, especially after the COVID-19, we lost a lot to that. Um, and especially as now, obviously, digital banking gets more and more popular. A lot of consumers are now on digital banking or mobile-based banking. So we don't really need branches much anymore. But obviously, where the issues arise is when it comes to access to cash, um, as well as sort of accessibility of digital banking apps to many different sectors of society, whether that's sort of the elderly, disabled people, or anyone that just can't doesn't have access to a phone or the internet or anything like that so um some new research from which has revealed that more than half of disabled bank customers have been negatively impacted by branch closures um which obviously isn't great uh so 52 percent found that bank branch closures had a negative had a negative impact on their ability to access virtual banking services and this is despite the legal obligation that financial firms and banks have under the Equality Act of 2010 to remove barriers for disabled customers to ensure they're not excluded. So obviously more than half of disabled people being excluded, not great. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about this again because I just, I do really enjoy talking about bank branch closures. I don't know why. Um, mainly because I think it's a good point. It's a good time to sort of talk about the accessibility of financial services and how financial services kind of needs to evolve in a way that ensures that people aren't being left out, but in different ways than you normally might think. Um, so I think obviously the push for customers to interact through mobile banking is fine, but a lot of people maybe don't have the ability to access that you know not everyone has a smartphone not everyone can use a smartphone you know whether you're elderly and you find using technology a bit tricky or maybe you've got a disability um that means that you just can't use a phone for whatever reason but you still need to have access to financial products and then so that is where kind of the sticky point comes in place so i just kind of wanted to bring you into this um with you guys because obviously there's quite a lot of alternative um options when it comes to bank branch closures so there's a lot of different um things that places are putting place to combat the closure of physical branches so one of those is oh i can't remember what they're called now but little kiosks inside of like post offices and things like that um oh god that's gonna really bug me i can't remember what they're called um but anyway but a lot of these aren't necessarily um, appropriate or useful for everyone 
So I just want to get your thoughts on this, guys. I mean, what do you think? Do you you think that we need to be doing, I say we, the financial service industry and banks need to be doing more to help the customers who are maybe being left behind? Do you think that the regulator needs to be doing more to crack down um, on people and to sort of force banks into being more accessible? What do you guys think, Tom? Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting topic um, because, as you say, where does the sort of responsibility lie in this case as well? Um, and I think the first sort of point when I was looking at this article was the fact that a lot of banks um, admitted that the latest versions of their websites and apps hadn't even been tested by disabled customers before they'd been sort of put out. Um, so the likes of Revolut, Starling, um, Virgin Money, uh, and a few others basically admitted that there hasn't been any testing with disabled customers. So in that in that sense, it's a very simple step to add. You know, make sure that it's accessible. Reach out to communities that might struggle more with online banking. See how they can make it more accessible for them. Um, and and as you said at the beginning, there's there's already sort of legal obligations, sort of with air quotes around it, um, that exist already. Uh, they're not necessarily being followed. I think they're quite a hard thing to to clamp down on in the sense of how do you prove that existing options aren't accessible for everyone? Obviously, in this case, we've got uh, a survey which is sort of getting people's experiences, but you know, maybe we need more strict rules around what people need to do before they implement certain services. Um, but ultimately, it's just finding a way to make sure that banks are taking this seriously and they're really considering people who might struggle with alternative services as bank branches close. So I really think it's just a case of more efforts needed and, and more consideration is needed before the implementation of, of this, these kind of things. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an odd topic. It's an important one to, to talk about. I guess the more noise that something gets, the more likely people are and these, these banks and, and organizations are to to take notice but yeah i think it's uh it's an interesting topic and it's uh disappointing really that we're at sort of this stage these sort of digital banking sort of providers and especially like the likes of you know revolut starling you'd expect them you know they're digital first sort of banks and they still aren't really taking this seriously um whereas you know you think that would be a great opportunity for them to to support um a greater number of consumers um, and then in turn, that will support those banks as well. So, yeah, it's a it's a, a horrible topic really to hear about the fact that so many people are, are being affected by this and just looking forward to hopefully seeing some change in the near future and seeing how banks can take this a bit more seriously and implement more strict measures to make sure more people are included. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I agree with everything you've said there and, and you're absolutely right. It is disappointing, um, especially in this day and age. And it's just kind of another thing that um, people who are disabled have to worry about, which isn't um, always great. But I mean, Francis, what do you think about this? What do you think about branch closures? Do we need to keep the access to face-to-face banking services uh, for everyone in society? I don't know. I feel like the the simple answer is probably yes, right? I think there should always be... I mean, it, it goes back to that the whole thing we've just talked about, right? About human contact and, you know, especially as I mentioned before, in, in like the financial world, when your finances are at stake, I think that's when you most want to have the reassurance of a human rather than a bot sort of saying, you know, this is all your money that I'm going to be taking care of. It's just, it's off-putting. But to be honest, I mean, 
I don't necessarily know if the rate is sort of going back to what you said before, Polly. I don't know if it's necessarily the regulator that needs to sort of crack down, but I do definitely think that more needs to be done because I don't really know if it's like a thing, like in the same way that it is in sort of the ESG space. I mean, at the, obviously in June, our, our focus is, you know, fintech for good. And this comes under that topic as well as ESG. But I mean, one of the big things that we talk about when we talk about, you know, ESG is greenwashing, right? And, you know, people sort of saying they're doing all this stuff to help the the climate and help the environment. And then it's sort of just like you're saying it just to sort of hit a criteria. And I don't know if there's necessarily a word that is applicable in the sense of like inclusivity, especially for disabled people. But it definitely feels that way because it's kind of like how Tom mentioned. It's like, you know, when you see these digital first services and, you know, the ones that are trying to say that they're all inclusive and that they're for everyone and you know, it's making promises they're not sticking to. And the fact that so many banks haven't tested their products for disabled people is, I'd go even so far as to say it's embarrassing, really. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's just disappointing. It's embarrassing. It's kind of a joke. I mean, it's just, it's it's negligent. And I, I just think that, you know, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? In the article, it does say Starling is indicating that vulnerable consumer research is in progress. But I mean, this could just, again, be that they're just trying to hit a, a you know, a, a criteria to say that they're doing something but then in reality what's actually being done i know that's a very cynical way to look at it but i definitely think it's a conversation that needs to be had really is that you know it is it, it's just not it's, I, 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 it's annoying right it's just annoying and i think that more needs to be done and yeah in a, in a world that we're trying to sort of promote financial inclusivity i think this is just sort of a step in the wrong direction yeah, I completely agree. And I think you, you've both raised some really valid points that have really just hit the nail on the head. It's something that people just seem to not be thinking about when actually they should be thinking about it almost the most. You know, if your if your product or service isn't accessible to the people who have greater accessibility needs, then what's the point? You know, you've really got to start there and work your way back rather than start with the easy stuff and work your way forward. So hopefully we'll start seeing a change. I know there's going to be and there's always quite a lot of noise around accessibility when it comes to um, these things. So fingers crossed we see a better future. Um, but anyway, that does bring us to the end to, of our discussion this week. If you want to hear more um, about any of the articles that we spoke about today or um, any more news from the fintech world, head on over to fintechtimes.com where you can read plenty more news and insights over there. Um, and then very quickly, we'll move on to what I learned this week. So each week we get so much new information um, and insights crossing our desks as the editorial team that we're learning something new all the time so we thought that would be fun to share that with you all so francis what have you learned this week on the topic of fintech for good i found out that a company called etuktuk is looking to implement blockchain based sort of charging portals for for tuktuks in sri lanka to to help improve you know the the economy there and to help tuktuk drivers essentially you know make more money and you know, fintech for good. I think that's the way it should be done. Absolutely love that. Tom, what have you learned this week? Uh, so this week, I, well, I often look at sort of UK fintech funding. Um, and basically, I learned that uh, investment firm Atomico revealed that new data shown in the first half of this year, UK, uh, UK sort of fintech companies felt the sharpest funding decline of any country across Europe. Um, but maybe not the work, you know, not time to get too worried at the moment because in the first half of last year, they actually received the most funding. So that's why they've seen the sharpest decline. That's one of the reasons, but a decline nonetheless. 
Um, so just a, an interesting sort of view in, into the fintech industry and tech industry at the moment. Awesome. Very relevant as funding is a hot topic right now. Um, and then what I learned this week was that uh, Aviva has partnered with Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust to support salt marsh research in the UK. And I just thought that was quite a nice one because we all have a bit of biodiversity and uh, helping the environment. Um, but anyway, guys, that's the end of the podcast. Once again, thank you so much for joining me this week as per usual. It's been a pleasure to talk about fintech with you. So I'll catch you on the next one. See you guys next week. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. 